with me to Mark 10. While you're turning, I shared in the early service that, uh, I think it did, that Brent, my brother-in-law, West, had come home. I got that word from a preacher friend of mine that was going to visit them, but he didn't get the second half of that word that Brent had a setback. So he, uh, he might come home today, still in a lot of pain. They had to re- reopen all of the wounds that they did before to take out a, a tremendous, man, it was a huge tumor. And uh, it looked like, I called it, it looked like a foreign alien with, with any. But uh, just remember them, continue to remember them as they uh, <clears throat> go through this trial in their life. And hopefully he'll be on the way back to recovery and get back to work. He, they're looking at three to four months out of work, and so that's going to be tough on them. So just, just pray for them. Mark 10. Verse 17, as he was starting out on a trip, a man came running up to Jesus and knelt down and asked the good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But as for your question, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely. Do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, but teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. Jesus felt genuine love for this man. As he looked at him, he said, you lack only one thing. Now, that one thing was a huge distance between him receiving eternal life and where his life was at that moment. As Jesus told him, he told a very wealthy man. He told a man, he said, look, I know, and my, you got it all, man. But he said, I want you to take everything you have and sell it. You know, for years I've said that. Jesus, I'll give you everything I got. In the back of my mind said, but Lord, please don't do that to me. Don't we kind of do that? Is there anybody here who would honestly just stand up and say, I want him today to come to me and take all my money out of the bank, all my savings, all my bonds, all everything, and I'm going to just sell it and give it to the poor. I don't find too many people anxious to do that. Well, this guy, who was the rich young ruler, looked at Jesus and then bowed his head low because he knew that he wasn't willing to take everything he had and sell it. It was in 1977. I didn't have a lot. My wife and I had just gotten married. She graduated from... Uh, DeKalb Medical as a, I think then it was called a nursing assistant, something of that nature. And I was a journeyman carpenter in the union. Now, in 1977, by today's standards, the money I made weekly don't mount to much. But in 1977, I was close to five, $600 a week. And I, I'll be honest with you, in 1977, $500 was $500. The Lord said, okay, buddy, I'm calling you. 
I want you to sell everything you have except what you want to haul with you, and I want you to go to Bible college. I said, do I have to move away from my mom and my dad? Yep, 300 miles. It was the best thing that Cindy and I could have done. But it wasn't an easy thing. Now, does he call everybody to sell everything you have? Well, he might, but it doesn't necessarily mean he will. But if he thinks for one moment that you're worshiping it like this dude, you better be careful, especially if you claim to be a believer because he may call it in. Now, it's interesting as you look at this thing because I personally believe that everybody in here that's got any money is looking for a good investment. Would anybody here say, I tell you what, I've got $50,000 in the bank. I got $100,000 in the bank. Don't raise your hand because I may pray God to tell you to sell, give it to him. But anyway, is there anybody that if I knew that you could get 15 or 20% on your interest or on your interest of it, would you, would you be mad I didn't tell you? And I know. And it's a safe investment. Let me say this. What if I were to tell you that I can get you 50% on everything that you would invest as long as you invest it in the company I tell you to invest it in? And you wouldn't lose it. Safe, no problem. Would you do it? Because you see, I believe there is a mutual fund out there called the Eternal Life Mutual Funds and Stocks of Glory. And when you invest in that, it's safe. You'll never lose it. It will always be there. And he will not only give you 50%, the Bible says he will give you a hundredfold. That interesting. Let's kind of look at it. You see, someone said that if you spend a dollar for a lunch, you get about five hours of return. If you spend a dollar for gas, it lasts only just a few miles. And if you spend a dollar for a hat, it lasts for a season or two. If you spend a dollar on a home, it lasts for generations. But if you spend a dollar for a Christian service, you will, it will last for eternity. Turn it. Well, in the 1800s, which I love to see those days. I, 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 I don't know if I'd have made a good cowboy because I rode a horse one time for about five hours. And nobody told me anything. But after five hours, they didn't have to. Vaseline became my best buddy. The seat was an enemy. I couldn't sit down. I could barely lay down. I was hurting. We see in the 1800s, they had what they call stagecoaches. And those stagecoaches had two benches in it. And they both what? Faced one another, right? Well, believe it or not, they had three classes of, of tickets you could buy for those things. The first class was one price. Then there was a second class and third class. The first class only came into play in all the other classes if you had trouble with the stagecoach. If they 
hit a rainy spot, got stuck, or had a wheel issue, or whatever it might be. The first class people could stay seated in the stagecoach. But the second hat people had to get out, and if it was a problem, they just walked beside. The third class people were the grunt people. When there was a cheap ticket, so they had to get out and push the stagecoach. They had to do the work if the stagecoach got in trouble. I'm going to be honest with you. I never have, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying just who I am. I have never been in all my life in the church wanting to be first class type member. What is that? That's where you're a, you're a spectator rather than a participator. You sit around and enjoy the benefits of everything, but you never get involved. I never have really been satisfied just kind of walking beside something. I, I got to get involved. I, I'm a doer by heart, and sometimes big doers can get in trouble. But I can guarantee you, I teach the staff here to be third-class members. If you're not willing to take and sweep the floors while nobody's looking, you know, it's easy to grab the vacuum cleaner when everybody's looking because they go, oh, isn't he a, a servant? Well, would you serve when ain't nobody else looking and something need doing? I, I see this a lot of times out in the parking lot when there's paper hanging around. If somebody's watching you, you go pick it up. But if anybody watches, oh, somebody else will get it. That's a first-class mentality. You see, I think it's important that you, under, you and I understand that when it comes to the church, we ask these questions just like the rich man. What must I do to be saved? But we really don't mean that. Because salvation is a gift, I'll agree. And Jesus paid the cost of it. But serving him is going to cost you something. Now, if you're going to stay a first-class ticket person, buy your way through and pay somebody else to do your work, you got your reward. That's about the best you're going to get. But if you're a third-class member, it means you have to understand that you must get involved. One day, Jesus was on the side of the seashore, and he was looking for followers and disciples, and Peter was out there fishing, and he said, hey, buddy, come follow me. What does the Bible say Peter did? He immediately chunked everything and started following him. Now, can you imagine that? What if Jesus came to you today and said, follow me. Quit your job. Stop what you're doing. Give everything you got away. By the way, Jesus did do that. You might have not have done it, but he said it especially if you say. You see, the issue here that we need to get is that Jesus came so that you and I could have eternal life. And he did pay the price. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die for us. As a matter of fact, 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He gave you everything, but what are you doing in return for him? You see, I think it's important that we do understand that there is an investment. There's the, there is a great investment that we need to make and that you'll ever make. He shows us the investment here in Scripture. But as he discusses it, he discusses it around three truths. One is the truth of the rich. This old poor fella, he had so much money he didn't know what to do. Now, <clears throat> grant you, there's some of you here, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. You don't think you're rich. You really don't. You got everything you'd ever need, you'd ever want. Well, no, I don't have it. I even have on my secret code. I shouldn't tell you this, I guess. In the bank, I just won't tell you what bank it is. It comes up and says, if I were to hit a million dollars, what would I get with it? Now, I know you would like me to be spiritual. And you would like me to say something spiritual. But I don't and didn't. I typed in B-O-A-T. And it gets me into my account every time. That means I might get it. <laughs> you believe that? You believe anything. Well, the discussion that Jesus has with this young man about riches and the truth about it is that this man had chose wealth over salvation. This man had chose hell over heaven. This man chose to... Rather than to be a disciple, he chose to be on the opposite side. Why? Because Jesus revealed something in this man's life. He was hung up on money. You say, well, Mike, do you like money? Oh, yeah. But I'm not going to worship it. Well, Mike, can I give you a million dollars and you quit the ministry? Nope. Mm-mm. You mean to tell me you turned down a million dollars if somebody said, stepped out of them? I'd turn it down in a heartbeat. Because, see, if you get to where, like, like this young man, and you're going to worship money, that's going to be your God, you're going to be the most unhappy person that's ever walked on the face of this earth. Now, how do you know when you're worshiping material things over the things that God really wants us to do? Well, let me ask you this. I've already told you that God called you and he wants you to serve him. And Matthew 20, 28 says that he came to, to not to be ministered to, but he came to what? Minister. And, and we're to follow him, right? I mean, isn't that right? We're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to follow his model. We didn't come so everybody can just lay out the red carpet and say, Woo! Mike's in church. That's baloney. Baloney. No, you and I have been called to serve Jesus. And Jesus says it's an investment. It's the best one you'll ever make if you serve it. If you're a third-class member on the stage together. Now, some of you believe you're entitled to all this stuff in that 
you've been this, and you maybe your pride will get bashed one day like mine was, and you'll find out that you're not entitled to anything. Jesus is entitled to it all, and that's who you follow. <laughs> well, when it comes to all this riches stuff and all this money stuff, Jesus said to us, and he wants us to know this, we're rich. How many of you believe in your heart that you're a rich person? Raise your hand. You see, there's a lot of people don't believe that. But if you were to take some of the stuff that I'm fixing to share with you, which is 56% of the world's population, which is 3.4 billion people live in extreme poverty. They survive on an income less than $730 per year, $2 a day. Half of that number lives in an income of which is 1.7 billion people, a dollar a day. And at minimum wage, the average American worker earns more than 50 times more than those in a foreign country. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you something. You say, that don't affect me. Oh, really? Oh, really? What's the minimum wage? Seven, huh? Seven twenty-five. Right now, today, I'm going to pray that God take every bit of the money out of everybody's bank and just wipe you out down to square, square zero, and the only money you're going to have is what's in your pocket, and we're going to deposit it in solid rock. I like that part. No, this is the moment. This is the this is the emphasis. Could you live on seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour? A bunch of you go, but a lot of you go, I don't, I couldn't. Oh, really? How can so many people in these poverty countries do it? What makes you think that you're so great? What makes you think that you are so blessed that you can have more than that? Because you are. That's why. And because you do. That's why. But now understand this. If you use the excuse, well, I just can't coach a, a team down on the field in recreation. Now, I'm meddling and I agree because I'm too busy. What are you too busy doing? Huh? Some of you were, I watched some of you play ball when you were young. You good. Or you were. Now it's all in our mind. I used to kid Terry all the time because Terry, he used to play for Ludies. And, and, and when he had his, we had his uh, fundraiser here on the stage, all of the Ludie old players showed up. They almost paid those guys. They were so good. Terry hit one of the farthest. One of the guys was telling me that he had ever seen 550 feet of softball. Son, I do good if I get it out of the infield. And I'm happy. One day, Terry and I was down on the ball field. I said, Terry, I want to see you hit one of them 550-foot long ones like the good old days. He said, Mike, I can't even see the ball, much less hit it. You see, whatever you think you're good at, there's going to get to a point in time that the investment that you make in life, it don't matter what you did on the ball field years ago. It just don't matter. You know what's going to matter? It really don't matter how busy you are and how much money you're making because there's going to give me a time that you're going to have to live on it if you don't lose it. Really don't matter. 
But I'll tell you what is going to matter. The investment you make in heaven. I like the investment that we make in heaven. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, put your stuff in heaven because thieves can't get it. We got a lot of thieves walking around today. You know, I, I feel like I get robbed every time. So, used to, you could get 18% on your money in the bank. Now today, they give you a quarter percent. Somebody told me the other day that $50,000 brought them about $12 a month. Really? We brag on that? That's not even a percent of a return. But, Mike, I'm just too doggone busy. I'm out here making a living. After all, the Bible says I'm supposed to make a living, and I'm supposed to work by the sweat of my brow. But it also says you're supposed to serve Jesus. And if you don't think he don't know it, you're a fool. He knows who you're serving. He knew who the rich young ruler. He said, I have one thing. There's one thing that stands between you and me. It's your money. It's what you're worshiping. It's your God. Because I'm not the God. That sounds strong, but that's what Jesus said. When Jesus said all this, <clears throat> verse 23, he looked around and saw the disciples, and the disciples sitting there bewildered. And Jesus said to them, how hard it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. That, that blew them away. Because some of them were rich. But then Jesus said, dear children, it's very hard to get into the kingdom of God. Now, you can take that verse out of script, out of context, and you can say, oh, it's hard to be saved. He ain't talking about hard, the difficulty of being saved. He's saying if you're worshiping your money, if you're worshiping uh, riches and wealth of this world, you're not going to be interested in salvation enough to receive it. Then he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Are there rich people in heaven? Yes. A bunch of them in hell, but a bunch of them in heaven. But they did not make it their God. The Scripture says we only have how many gods before him? None. <laughs> He's to be the only one. The disciples in verse 26 were astounded. He said, how in the world can anybody be saved then? <laughs> now he brings up, Jesus brings up the truth of redemption. If you're counting on anything other than Jesus to be saved, I just want you to know it ain't going to work. If you're counting on a prayer that you pray every day in repetition, if you're counting on your work, if you're counting, whatever it is, Unless it involves Jesus being the only way and him in your heart and life and you having a, a relationship with him, forget it. It won't work. You got to start square one. And, and, and Jesus starts at square one. He says it's, it's, it's an impossibility humanly for humans to save humans. Only is it possible with who? God. 
And, and I'm telling you, the Father said in 2 Peter, he didn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everybody to come to repentance. The only problem is many of us are like this rich young ruler. We've got our eyes off Jesus, and we're focusing in on us. And if you think that's going to get you any rewards in heaven, forget it. It may keep you out of heaven. You better listen because this is what Jesus said. Now, I like what Peter says. Peter says in verse 28, now Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't say it that many times, but what have all of the disciples done? We walked away from everything. We have given everything away. We're following you. The fact of it is, spiritually speaking, we should be willing to give whatever it is up and hold back nothing from from following and serving Jesus. But I hear this excuse all the time. But you don't understand. I have to work. I don't have time. I, I can't serve at vacation Bible school coming up a week or two. I, I work. <laughs> well, if you wanted to go fishing, what would you do? You'd work it out. I would too. I love it. It's amazing things, the things that we'll do for the things we really want to do and what we're passionate about and what we sell out to and what's on our mind and what we talk about all the time. That's our God. That's our God. Does even Jesus come to the mind of you as a believer? Oh, Peter, listen to him. We've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, come on. Come on. Quit whining. Do I hear people whining in here? (laughs) Being a servant of God, people are mean. You are. The flesh is mean in sakes. I can be mean. I don't want to be, but I could be. All of you have the potential to be mean. And if you don't believe, you men looking at me all pious, let me have your wife about five minutes in the counseling chambers, and I'll find out just who you are, if they'd be honest. Peter's sitting here, bless God, I gave it all up. I could have had a good Career in fishing. But no, Jesus, I sold out to you. You know what he was saying? I'm getting nothing for this. What's in it for me? That's what he was saying. But I kind of like what Jesus said. Look at it. Because it leads to the third truth. I assure you, Peter, That anyone who's given up their house, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, 
or their fathers or their children or property for my sake or for the good news, the gospel, will receive in return a hundred times over. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't serve Jesus because what I'm going to get out of it. I just don't. I actually enjoy serving Jesus. I'll tell you what I don't enjoy. Believers that don't enjoy it, that are not in it for the souls and salvation. They're they're in it for the score on the board. They're in it on how well you are elevated and patted on the back and, and told, whoa, I didn't mean to almost hit you, and told what a good job you did. I didn't even see you. I'm zoned out. There's a woman in our ministry that's been here over 20 years. She served 10 of those years recording in the old days by hand the gifts of everybody that gave. That woman was there when I was eight years old and joined the church. That, year, that woman was there when my wife and I started dating. That woman was there when I got married. She served in here 10 years, and she didn't make any fuss. She didn't brag about what she did. She was quiet about what she did, and she was very humble. She worked five years with Jack as a counselor. Never fussed, never complained. I never heard nothing negative out of her. One day when she was working at church volunteering, I walked out and my ears were sideways and my eyes was crossed and I was all bent out of shape about something. I get that way at times. And I was kind of like Peter. What's in it for me, Lord? I'm going through all this pain. And it just don't seem like anybody cares. We have to beg them to serve, beg them to count money, beg them to show up. Sound like Peter, don't it? Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you, my brother, you're not doing it for nothing. You're doing it for me. And I'm going to bless you a hundredfold. Miss Mabel looked at me and said, Mike, and she didn't only tell me. She told Richard Culpepper. She told Ricky Genovese. She told anybody that was on staff that come out looking like they was been caught up in a whirlwind. Hair all blown out. We're sitting there. I don't have a clue what I'm fixing to do. She said, Mike, you know what me and he has been through. I said, oh, yeah, I'd have shot half the people if they'd have done that to me. What they did to you. I don't know how you kept your composure. She said, Mike, I'm going to tell you something. I hope this will help you. There is life after the pastorate. What? Listen to me. She said, get this. There's life. There is a life after you being a preacher. I couldn't even think of anything other than being a preacher at that moment. I said, I don't understand what you're trying to say. She said, I'm trying to tell you. What you all been out of shape on right now ain't going to matter to a hill of beans when you ain't the pastor here no more. And I'm right there. 
All that stuff we troubled over and we worried about and we were sick about and we were mad, it don't matter anymore. But what matters is what you do with Jesus and how you serve him the right way while you're here. All them people make you mad. All them people don't do what you want them to do. It's going to be like that while you're in the ministry. But when you retire, they will even forget who you are. So understand this. Jesus will never forget who you are because you're working for him. You ain't working for yourself. You're working for him. Peter got, it's almost like I think he got it. Uh, Jesus even went on to tell him this. Not only am I going to bless you and reward you, because that was the truth about the rewards, but many who seem important now to some will be the least important then. And the ones that seem to be the most considered here and now, least considered, will be the greatest then. I know there are a lot of people that don't get involved in the church because you don't feel significant or you don't feel important. You don't feel like nobody wants you. You don't feel like you're needed. If God has saved you and called you, you are needed. You got it? Now, if you don't step up and you let your excuses get in the way, like the rich young ruler, if you're not careful, you'll excuse yourself. Now, I'm not saying if you're, not, if you're saved, you're saved. But if, but if you're on the borderline and you haven't entered into the door of salvation, you can excuse yourself right on out of even being who Jesus wants you to be. What is the greatest investment you'll ever make in your life? It will be the ones that you every day invest your life in serving Him. You'll never lose. You'll always win. And I told the Sunday school class we was talking about today, <clears throat> you already have a mailbox. My son's building next door to me. And he already has a mailbox up. He ain't even got his block laid yet, but he's got a mailbox. Do you know that in heaven we already have a mailbox and we ain't even there yet? Why? Because it's promised. You're just going to go take up residence where you're supposed to spend eternity anyway. If you're saved. If you're not, your home is in hell if you die without it. Money seems to be the deciding factor among most. But I want you to know it's not the most important. A young man was drafted into the army. He wrote his mom and said, Dear mom, you know they've drafted me in the army against my will and my wishes. They took me they took my name away and they gave me a number. They gave me number 298. They took away my clothes, gave me a uniform. The shoes are too big, the pants are too small. Ever since I've been in the army, I've done nothing but march every day. 
We march in the morning. We march in the afternoon. We march at night. He said, I'm so tired of marching, I can't even sleep. The thing that I'm looking forward, though, is in the morning when Sunday arrives and I can just sleep in, except for the sergeant told us, you are going to get up two hours early and make preparations to march to church. We marched to the church. I sat down. I just had dozed off when a fella got up and said, Number 298, are you weak and heavy laden? I stood up and said, You're mighty right I am. I can tell you that since I've been in this army, you're the first person that cared enough to even ask me how I felt. And you know what, Mom? I've been in the brig ever since I made that statement. Some of us act like it is an actual burden to serve Jesus. We're just like Peter. I'm tired of serving Jesus. Y'all are. I'm tired of people criticizing me. I've sold out. I've given everything to the cause. You have? What are you belly aching about? I'm sick. I'm weary. I'm burdened. I'm depressed. Yeah. That's three quarters of the world. But what about the servants of God? You know what? It ought to be a blessing, it ought to be a joy. It ought to be not dreary, but it ought to be delightful. Jesus said in Matthew, or Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work on that Is this a burden to you? Maybe not to be a first-class citizen or a first-class rider on the stagecoach. But sometimes it does get tough when you're the only one doing the work. If you want to be blessed and rewarded, you got to serve him. And you know why I serve him? Because I love him. And because he loves me, he saved me. And I'm going to get to spend eternity with him. This is the only time while I'm in this human tent that I'm going to be able to serve him. Because once I'm gone, it's, it's just going to be a natural thing for you to do that. But now, it'll cost you something. It'll cost you maybe asking your boss to let you off. To be, help us in vacation Bible school. Help us coach a team. Help us with the youth. Help us in the food ministry. Look, Jesus told us to serve, not wine. Serve it. With your heads back.